Hi, and welcome to Sullivan Strumpf's podcast. I'm Joanna Strumpf, and today I'm really excited to be presenting a wonderful interview between Alex Seaton and Sebastian Goldspink. Alex Seaton is no stranger to anyone who knows our gallery, but Sebastian Goldspink you may not know. Sebastian's an independent curator. He's just been announced the curator for the 2022 Adelaide Biennial. Also the exhibitions coordinator at Wallara Gallery at Redleaf Pool. Alex and Seb are going to discuss Alex's forthcoming exhibition, Meet Me Under the Dome, which is very much a love letter to Alex's own childhood, based entirely on marble from the Wombian region where he grew up. So settle back and enjoy this interview. I'm super excited to talk about this show. I've been a, a fan of your work for a long time now and seen a bunch of Alex Seaton shows. This show, being fortunate enough to have a bit of a preview of some of the works in progress, feels to me like a very personal show and in some ways an autobiographical show, which is really interesting. Of course, there's always that thing with biography or autobiography that truth is kind of in your memory. And what's interesting to me is that this show really harkens back to your childhood and particularly the area that you grow up in, the sort of Mombian cave area. And what was amazing to me about talking to you about the show was that I had no idea of this backstory that you grew up metres away from a marble quarry and as a small child, your father gave you a hammer and chisel and sort of as an eight-year-old, you began carving marble. I mean, it seems like a completely improbable story for someone who, you know, really has defined their career with working with that particular material. Yeah, I know. It seems a little too neat, a little too tied up with a bow, doesn't it? Uh, it was more like kilometres from a quarry. But, yeah, I think um, all it really means is that I loved a material very early on or knew its properties and kind of was playing in the bush as a kid and come across this stone that was very workable and very easy to shape. And, of course, you're just playing at that stage in that early years. This is, you know, ages of 8, 9, 10, that sort of thing. But preteen, uh, playing around with materials that the bush offers, growing up off-grid was a particular kind of adventure for us. and. The boys were allowed to just, you know, my brothers and I were just pushed off into the, and told, don't come back until dark. That kind of uh, childhood. And it was a big adventure. But yeah, there was this beautiful quarry, and that's what this show is about. It's a beautiful quarry not so far from where I grew up. That at the time, of course, I wasn't to know that it was going to inform so much of what I do as an adult in my adult life. I reckon I've avoided embracing that side. Is in I don't think it's that neat, or I've always avoided it being that neat. Uh, the idea that I was going to be a marble sculptor because I played with it as a kid, I just don't think I ruled it out at College of Fine Arts, doing art theory and history, playing in practical classes, and then taking on some exhibitions as an artist and thinking, oh, you know what would be really good here? Some marble. <laughs> You know, particularly, yeah, late 90s postmodern theory that says um, the hierarchy of materials, quite rightly, is bunk and silly and an irrational, well, not irrational, but sort of rationally led out of a hierarchy from Europe, an aesthetic, a certain particular ingrained aesthetic, which has its own historical associations. 
And I think, well, the real challenge is to turn that on its head, that, let that material speak for itself. Part of this show is actually telling the story of that material again as a, as a, as a uniquely Australian material, its colours of the earth, its soil. And I really enjoyed my unusual upbringing, but you don't realise it's unusual until you grow up. Until you grow up and talk to other people. Um, it's amazing because this show is a love letter to that time and that childhood, but also the main protagonist of the show is the material itself and your kind of love of that particular Wambian marble. And what's interesting about it is I didn't know a lot about sort of history of marble in Australia, but you were saying to me that material is often derided compared to sort of European marble. We have this kind of thing where we hold up Italian marble as being the kind of the gold standard and that this was a lesser material. And you also said that the kind of early people who were working with this were particularly kind of Southern European immigrants coming who had had experiences in those quarries. But what they discovered in this material was an incredible kind of beauty and an incredible kind of difference from that European marble, that it was an Indigenous material that had its own kind of character and colours and flavour. It was different, but certainly not yeah. substandard. You also mentioned that often, often it was derided for its lack of strength, but in working with the material, you found it to be incredibly hardy, right? Perfectly, yeah. No, more than just good. It was actually perfectly brilliant. I think there's a lot to that. There's a history of making recorded in our quarries. In, in fact, it's a very unique thing to talk about Australia, contemporary Australia. So much of it is still in the basis of removal of resources from the earth, and that is indeed deeply problematic. But to be working as a sculptor in this particular material, in this particular context, is the interesting thing for me. So I, you know, at uh, university, yeah, I did have the fine arts lecturers saying, oh, no, you can't work. And no Australian marble is worth its grain. Whereas, in fact, it's proven that you just use different techniques. You use a sort of different approach, grinding, not, not like traditional martello carving and things like that. It has its own voice. It has its own particular unique properties. And that was the brilliance of discovering that early on so that I didn't rule it out while at art school where I could think, oh, okay, no, all material has its own unique context. And what is it to carve marble in this day and age? One, Australia has yet to truly appreciate its history. Marble carving has this very imposed association from a European legacy of monuments and empire and architecture and monuments. It has that legacy that we all know as part of the Western canon of art. But what is it to tell our stories in the here and now in that material? As in what do we choose to memorialize? What do we choose? Because, of course, memorial is built into the language of it. But also, how can we turn it on its head? Is it just a beautiful material that is non-toxic and particularly in the a very environmentally conscious age, to be understanding that more so than most sculptural materials I was to discover while working it, is it's non-toxic. It, my marble refuse can be used as fertilizer, that uh, marble itself is fairly benign on the body, that also that one block of marble can create a whole show and I can use it, efficiently use it in, with modern tools that are well outside any traditional context of making. But um, all by way of saying is there's this 
beautiful texture that I think our restaurants and our chefs are discovering faster than we in the arts have. Then Australian materials have their own unique flavour and stories. And if we're paying attention, of course, Indigenous artists going way back have been telling us that, that very thing. Yeah, and this site itself, particularly the cave system, the area around the quarry is a place that has its own dreaming, its own sort of stories about how that was formed. So that's a really interesting history there as well. Absolutely. There's quite compelling stories of the formation of the caves. And I think part of this show is actually to talk about the, an awareness of absence. I think growing up in the 80s is the understanding that the history books, such as they were, that I grew up with, were very empty. We're empty of explanation. We're empty of any prehistory to Captain Cook. And that was funny to grow up in an awareness of that absence. It's sort of, there are a lot of voids in the show in particular. So I have photographs of empty cavities of, say, a photograph of the roots, the root, the, the hole left by the roots of a burnt out tree in the middle of the quarry because the quarries were hit by the bushfires in January. And it's interesting that nostalgia as well too, like not only the nostalgia directly for your childhood, but sort of the nostalgia for the quarry. The quarry closed down a while ago. It just wasn't a viable kind of market anymore and that quarry remains. And, and as you said, it was heavily impacted by bushfires, um, that particular kind of area. And some of the marble that remained was sort of scorched by the fires. But um, in the studio, you were talking to me about how a finite a resource this Wombian marble is and how lucky you are to have it. And so that when you were constructing works for the show, you were really conscious about using every possible piece of that marble because yes. it's going to be increasingly rare. They're not, they're not, they're not mining this marble uh, anymore. Yeah, one of the things that's really evident, it's not actually nostalgia for me. It's actually a very acute awareness of the fact that when you stand in a quarry that's being reclaimed by nature, as in Wombian Caves Quarry uh, that was run for 100 years, closed down in about 2003 and nature is quickly reclaiming it in many different ways and the bushfire is only another layer, a more recent layer of that. And it's compelling to see that you don't feel it ever more than when you're standing and looking at the cross-sections of the sheer earth and in the marble faces that have been exposed and feeling geological time versus human time in that we are short and that the earth is long. And that's the leaping off point actually for the show in that the height of activity that the quarry represents, I'm neither romanticizing it, I have a, uh, a love of it because it goes to form and constructs so much of the history of Sydney. Uh, one of the artworks I have in the show is actually created from panels of Wombian marble that used to sit on the front of the Commonwealth Bank in George Street. It used to be the facade. And they sat, they were removed after some great big renovation back in the, um, in the 80s. And I managed to get my hands on a whole bunch of panels to create a work from that. There's just a beautiful history of making and a kind of shared history. In fact, part of this show is about that shared narrative that we all share. I've titled the show Meet Me Under the Dome, so named after a famous etching published in the Daily Telegraph called Meet Me Under the Dome. 
it's a old school way of acknowledging the um, kind of the way we would say it now is meet me on town hall steps. Once upon a time, Sydney siders would all say, meet me under the dome of the Garden Palace near the statue of Queen Victoria that existed under the dome in order to go and view the many splendours of the Garden Palace that once existed in botanical gardens there in Sydney. It's the idea of a meeting place that no longer exists. And Same it, with the quarry. And an incredible, uh, incredible site as well too. Um, we talked a little bit about Jonathan Jones's project, um, Skin and Bones, a Caldor project that took place on that site. The sort of history of that site where the Garden Palace held a lot of early colonial records but also Aboriginal artefacts and the sort of mythology was that people with convict ancestry burned it down to sort of disguise their past. But we're really feeling this now, I think, in this time, that kind of thing that the more you try to repress things, the more they kind of bubble up to the surface and there's a, sort of a reckoning of that history. Absolutely. The history of forgetting that is an Australian colonial history, either willful or accidental. We've come to the point where you can really feel the need for a reckoning, a reckoning with our colonial past, a true picture of what has happened and the events and the sequence of events. You never feel it more than now. I wanted to focus quickly on what will undoubtedly be like a very central work for the exhibition, The Incredible Goes to Wombi and the shrouded figure, the centre of this exhibition. And um, so that form is based on your form. You modelled it on your body, your proportionality. Yes. Looking at that classical tradition of, of that drapery and that beautiful skill in the marble and undoubtedly just incredibly beautiful. But it's sort of the signposting something, isn't it? This idea, it's a self-portrait. Yeah, I think um, is the history of making and the action of making. Uh, a lot of the work that I've done is, can be split into two categories, either the overtly very political work, often very plain-spoken, and then there's the work that is about the act of making itself, something like Left Turn to Albuquerque, where I carve through a video work of me carving through a wall of limestone, a tunnel for myself. The act of making in and of itself, the folly of it, if you will, is the very act of making art, for sharing, for the sake of expressing a certain kind of idea. And when looking at the history of carving, the shrouded figure is this enormous trope that, that looms large, if you will. And it, it kind of, it's something I've always wanted to tackle. And I tackled to a lesser extent in 2011 when I made a work, My Concerns Will Outlive Yours, and it now exists in the Art Gallery of South Australia in their permanent collection. And that was about all the sacrifices made in the name of the flag or a flag. It's such a loaded piece of material. And for me, of course, putting aside somatic paradox, I, I love making soft things in a hard material, yeah. making a hard material look soft more. The human figure is such a loaded symbol, really. I love using the human figure as a litmus test of someone's dis disposition. So in this case, getting back to the work, I have a shrouded figure, you know, the kind of classic shrouded draped figure is either dead or asleep or neither or both and is not too prescriptive as to be descriptive in a, say, medieval memorial kind of way. There's no identity to the subject underneath it. I don't know if it actually 
feel specifically autobiographical in that way as a portrait, this figure sits in that space between all of those different states, asleep, dead, about to spring up as lament and elegiac for all of that human activity that took part in that quarry. Is yeah. the, um, and, and the surrounding regions. It's this beautiful region that um, has limestone caves. Were in fact, the reason the quarry closed because they were encroaching on this beautiful natural wonder. And the comparison between the, the natural cave system, the natural hole in the ground, and the quarry on the ground. The other key thing which you sort of touched on there in your palette is always a really great sort of sense of humour with works and that's something that you've traversed in a lot of previous exhibitions, this mixture of sometimes, you know, solemn, serious kind of work, always with multiple meanings but on a kind of a, a very kind of serious thing. Um, some of the key works from this exhibition that fall into that category will, will probably the best would be the expanded kind of rendering of, of your childhood teddy bear bun bun which was crocheted by your uh, yes. grandmother and sort of made into this um, larger kind of form. Also, too, uh, I was really interested in uh, the beautiful marble ladder, which uh, harkens back to your childhood. So the story that you were telling me was that, yeah, your parents moved out to this remote area. Your mom had one requirement for her house was that it had to have a waterfall, which is, a you know, an amazing thing in itself. And your dad... Um, mm built the home that you grew up on and um, there was this ladder that he had also constructed. Didn't have a long enough, uh, long enough pieces of wood to actually um, splice together wood to, to, to get the design. Bed yeah, yeah. bedpost, which is probably the one thing you don't do when you're building a ladder is uh, create a, a structural weakness right in the centre of it. But nonetheless, yeah. um, that ladder, ladder survives and, and this is a, a faithful uh, reproduction of the ladder, which was... Uh, you know, such a, a kind of central point of your, your childhood. Very particularly with that ladder as well, part of the folly of it is actually that um, the way my folks uh, started building the house off-grid in a do-it-yourself kind of way that wasn't particularly environmental but rather more self-responsibility kind of way, kind of Walden's Pond, yeah, the Thoreau's Walden Pond. And they could have been really practical about it. But instead, they chose to do things like build the house on the golden ratio. My dad was a mathematician working for CSIRO at the time. There's a certain beauty in the numbers. And to do things for the love of it, and just because, just because, kind of cuts to the heart of why we, us here in the art world, of why we love to do things at all. And there's some series of unusual choices that he made. But this ladder is very particularly scaled to the house, the shape and size of the house, to get into the loft where my brothers slept side by side, all four of us, in the loft. And the height of the ladder is specifically to the golden ratio relationship to the house itself. Um, nothing was not deliberate. It was lovely to live and grow up with that deliberacy. Let's say we imbue everything with the meaning that we give it. I don't think I was ever only, I, was, I don't think I really had a choice. I was only ever going to be an artist. It's really interesting to see kind of bravery and, and honesty in examining your childhood, which sounds like an amazing childhood, but it's always a heavy thing to uh, examine. There's things that form you and shape you. And for a long time, um, in sort of pure art theory, I ran away from the making, uh, as in slightly ashamed of it even. The idea that 
there was a rigidity to what you can and can't do, what is appropriate and what you cannot do. And uh, something twigged back in my um, first five years out of college, really cliche, but just unlearning a, a lot and then freeing up my language to be able to talk about anything that I wish. I think if there's a job of an artist, it's to run towards yourself, your history, and reveal your identity and to come from that point of view. I never want to speak for anyone else. I hope you will see in all my political work that I only come from my own perspective or criticize my own privilege. I think above all, your practice is about communication and it's a practice that reaches out to people. It's not a practice that expects people to come to it. And I think that's, that's a really beautiful thing. Alex Eden, congratulations on a, a beautiful show and thank you so much for your time. Congratulations. And that was Sebastian Goldspink and Alex Seaton discussing Alex's exhibition Meet Me Under the Dome, opening at Sullivan Strump on the 26th of November. If you're interested in our podcasts, you can find more of them at Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Instagram at Sullivan Strump or even come to the actual gallery, which is at 799 Elizabeth Street, Zetland in Sydney. Because borders are going to be open pretty soon. Isn't that a relief? Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.